Welcome to Mind Love, episode 181. Today's episode is all about emotional resolution. We're spending our life trying to shut down the emotion, try to step out of these emotions so we can feel better, so we can go back to a neutral state. And that doesn't work. Now, the problem is every time we're trying to control our emotion or to tell ourselves that we are okay, which is also a way to control, we are not allowing the body to do a natural process. Remember, we said that the physical sensation that we feel during an emotion were the same sensations that were felt at the moment that the emotion was created. What I'm teaching is a complete natural process that everybody and everybody's body can do. So how to do it? Well, the key is when we feel an emotional difficulty to do nothing. Easy to say, not easy to do all the time. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, love. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews are the best way to give back if you find the show helpful. They help the show grow, which helps me get even better guests. Today, I want to share a review by Rach Liz. She says, it's amazing what this podcast and Melissa can do. I listen to an episode every morning on my way to work. And after listening, I feel so uplifted and refreshed. It helps me get through the day and puts me in a better mood. Thank you for being you and all that you do. Well, thank you for leaving this review. It's my birthday month right now. And also I just had my very first Mother's Day and I swear May is just the best month. So thanks for adding to that, Rachel is. What if I told you that in just 30 minutes, you or anyone else for that matter, can resolve any kind of emotional difficulties permanently? I'm sure a lot of you would be skeptical. I mean, most of us have been taught that our traumas are some lifelong battle that we need to dig into during years of therapy sessions, just hoping that maybe we'll untangle our brain space enough to get through the day a little happier than we were before. And yeah, there are tons of positive reasons to do therapy and millions of people with positive outcomes. But what about those who feel like long-term talk therapy isn't a fit? Or what if you can't afford hundreds of dollars per month in order to sift through your whole troubled childhood or past relationship? What if you just want something that can make you feel a little lighter right now? Is that even possible? Well, if you've been listening for a while, you probably know by now that trauma is stored in the body. We tend to think our trauma is some mental issue, but it's not just in your head. It leaves a real physical imprint on your body, and it can actually jar your memory storage processes and change your brain. And according to Harvard Medical School, untreated past trauma can have a big impact on your future health. It can actually trigger emotional and physical reactions that can make you more prone to serious health conditions, including heart attack, stroke, obesity, diabetes, and even cancer. Oh, and on top of that, the risk of developing mental and physical health problems actually increases with the number of traumatic events that you've experienced. I mean, as if that original trauma wasn't enough, now you're stuck with possibly it ruining your whole future? Well, when I was first learning this information, first of all, it changed the way I viewed my health. At the time, I had been burying a lot of pain, and I thought I could somehow overpower it with positivity, and if I did that, maybe it wouldn't affect me at all. So on the outside, I was doing yoga and trying to eat a little better, 
But inside, I was still in a lot of pain, just doing whatever I could to distract myself from it. I was also still knee-deep in bulimia. And looking back, it makes sense why I couldn't just seem to overcome this. I mean, I was holding on to so many things. But there was another truth that I'd come to know also. The body has a natural ability to heal itself from literally anything, if we don't get in its way. So if the body is always healing, if given the tools, why is it also holding on to trauma? If the body wants to naturally heal, but it's holding on to trauma, then there must be something that I'm doing that's assisting it holding on to trauma. And there must be something I can learn to assist it in letting it go. Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Cedric Bertelli. He's the founder and director of the Emotional Health Institute, which is an organization that provides information and education about emotional resolution, or MRES. He helps people struggling with stress, depression, anxiety, and a ton of other negative emotions in resolving disruptive emotional patterns. Three key things we will learn are how emotions are made, why some emotional difficulties stay with us, and a process you can do at home to release emotions stored in your body. And now let's welcome Cedric Bertelli to the show. Well, thank you very much, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So what's your story and what inspired you to focus so much on emotional health? Oh, wow. Um, I guess um, it all started because I was myself very nervous, a lot of anxiety. I was an anxious child. I had uh, what you call in, in French, crise de colère, anger crisis, which are kind of like anxiety crisis, I guess, from very early on. And of course, as I grew up and became a teenager, a man, I uh, learned to control all that, to bottle down all that and to not show anything. But uh, even if, the, if it didn't show in my life, in my work, or well, not even much more in my relationship, so much in my relationship, things were still very hectic inside of me. I tried pretty much everything under the sun, right? Psychotherapy to feel better, coaching, um, development, self-development workshop. And all along my life, these were useful. Sure. They improved my, uh, my state. Sure. But they were asking for a lot of control, a lot of discipline, a lot of rituals. And I mean, I knew in my gut that my body wasn't supposed to be constantly uh, jacked up like that. So that's when I started to do my own research and going back to studying to find out basically how the brain constructs emotions and how we can allow the brain to deconstruct those emotional difficulties. So how are emotions made? It's a great question. And I think it's an important topic as if we understand, if we start to understand how emotions are made, um, there is a process of demystification happening. You know, as long as we live on our emotion or as long as we are approaching emotion on a Freudian way, so to speak, on a cognitive way, emotion can feel scary and like a lifelong sentence almost to live with. But when we start understanding how emotions are made, we can see that it's not something we have to live uh, with for the rest of our life. And I'm talking about emotional difficulties such as anxiety, depression, anger, etc., etc. So to answer your question, 
What we understand today is that at the origin of every single one of our emotional difficulty is always the same kind of event. In order for us to have a disruptive emotional pattern, at the root of it is a moment, an instant of very high stress, either way, uh, physical stress or emotional stress. And those moments of very high stress happen or start to happen, I should say, very early on in life. From my current understanding, I will say that they even happen in utero at birth. And then a lot of those happen during the first year of our life. Uh, If we think about it, human beings are born about 12 months too early. You know, there are a lot of studies coming out now about about that we we're born too early if we if we look at it we're the only species who can do anything absolutely anything for the first year of our life we are extremely vulnerable during the first year of our life but anyway at the root of every single one of our pattern is the same kind of event and it is a very high stress now another thing that we understand is that one of the main jobs of our brain is to predict Our brain, our subconscious brain, do not react, do not respond so much, but does a lot of prediction. We are constantly predicting based on a past experience. We can see that, for example, when we are about to eat a food that we already ate in the past. Let's say an apple. If I have my first apple, I'm going to have a first sensorial experience with the crunchiness, the juiciness, the sourness. And next time I am about to have the same kind of apple, before biting it, my body, I'm sure you notice that, will generate the sensations that you're about to feel. Basically, you're predicting what you're about to live, just a snap before experiencing uh, eating an apple again. You've been predicting. It is the same thing for an emotional difficulty or for emotional pattern. When we have some of those moments of very high stress, what we can call trauma, and again, we have, I think, hundreds of them in our life. At the moment when we have this trauma, there is a natural mechanism that is happening, which is the cognitive mind, if it is formed already, is going to disconnect. We can call that the dissociation. But during this very high stress, if the cognitive is not present, the subconscious is very much still on, recording all elements that can be recorded at that time, what we taste, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we sense on our skin. And the subconscious brain is also going to record the physical sensations that we are feeling during this moment of high stress. Now, before I go further, we got to know that the way that the subconscious mind record and capture things is very different from what the cognitive recording capture. Cognitively, right now, you and I, we are managing about 2,000 bits of data per second. That's what we are consciously aware of. In the same time, my subconscious and your subconscious is managing, capturing, about 400 billion bits of data per second. So when we are living a dissociation during one of those traumatic events, if we can say, the way that the brain, the way that the body record elements is very different from what we do cognitively usually. So during those events of high stress, we record 
whatever the five senses are capturing and the physical sensations happening in our body. Now later on, when our body finds itself in a situation, when it captures, when it recognizes one of the ailments present during one of our trauma, our body, our subconscious brain is going to automatically generate the physical sensations that you are about to feel based on what you felt at the moment of the trauma linked to your current situation. And as we know, as you know, the way that we know that we feel an emotion, you and I or any human being, it is because we are feeling physical sensations in our body. An emotional difficulty always starts with a physiological response, a physiological response that we contextualize to make an emotion. Now, this physiological response that we are, that let us know that we are feeling an emotion, it is the same physical sensations that was felt in the original trauma that now is creating the response. The same way that your brain predicts what an apple is going to taste before you bite it, based on what the apple felt the last time. So in a nutshell, that's how the brain constructs emotion. An emotional difficulty is an obsolete prediction from the brain. Wow. So basically, most humans think that our thoughts are creating those physical sensations. Like, oh, I have anxious thoughts, so now my body's reacting with anxiety. But what you're saying is that the body reacts first. And because we're feeling those physical sensations of anxiety, then our mind starts to make up reasons to be anxious, which can add to a spiral of even more anxious thoughts that aren't even valid. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. But also sometimes you can think about something and that can be a stimulus and a thought can create an emotion. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth, and as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything, like this dark cloud is over my day, and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted, like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months, and now they're pretty few and far between, and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, 
The shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. But also sometimes you can think about something and that can be a stimulus and a thought can create an emotion. I don't think it only goes in one way. Sometimes a thought can come and the thought has a juice, so to speak, right? And it's going to create an anxiety. But very often it's an outside stimulus that's going to create a fear, a fear response, a fear really. And the thought, as you just explained, is going to come out. And you know, the beauty about human beings, if I may say so to speak, <laughs> is that we have this amazing capacity to build emotion upon emotions, which makes our life very difficult. Yeah, I can relate to that, especially being pregnant. <laughs> I've had emotion <laughs> on emotion on emotion. So I totally get that. One of the things you mentioned, though, is that much of this stored stress or trauma has occurred in the first year of life. Is that correct? What kinds of things are contributing to that? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Well, you know, um, well, first in, in the womb, there are a lot of ailments that can create stress for the fetus. Of course, if the mom is, is having a lot of stress, and again, uh, I want to make something clear here, it's not the fault of the mom. If she's stressed, it is always the fault of the environment. I thought you were going to say the husband. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, sometimes it's, that's why the husband is very important or the partner is very important in pregnancy because it's, it's really important. There's a beautiful work by a French researcher called Boris Cyrulnik uh, on resilience and how the body is resilient and show how important the environment around the mom is important so she can be as much as peace as she can. So, of course, the environment... Uh, in the stress of the mom can impact the baby, sure. But also things such as a uh, nut in the umbilical cord, you know, uh, blocking oxygen, that, that can be very, very stressful for the baby. Then at birth, you know, during labor, it's, it's, not, um, it's not soft on the baby. You know, I mean, imagine being in a, in a floaty world and all of a sudden having all those tensions and squeeze and, and then coming out of the womb, uh, the cold, the noises, I mean, all these are extremely stressful for a little being. And then during the first year, we are completely vulnerable. We are, uh, if we are too hungry, that can be uh, stressful. Uh, if we are too alone, too cold, too hot, we are little things completely vulnerable. And then, and then on and on and on, of course. Wow. So that's a lot of pressure on the mom. <laughs> when you really think about it. Maybe it's because I'm just about to embark on this journey. But yeah, there, there are a lot of things that we can store in our body from a time that we don't even remember. It's one thing if we are living our lives and we're like, oh yeah, this is reminding me of something when I was 
2012 that happened. But a lot of these things are basically subconscious responses from a period in our time that we don't have conscious memories anymore. So how do we begin to deconstruct the things that might be holding us back or affecting us today? Everything you said here is very correct. I just want to I just want to say that absolutely. And one thing before I answer, it's important to know that we don't need to know the origin of our emotional difficulties to resolve them. The way that we feel the emotion today, as long as we are aware enough to realize that we feel an emotion, that's the right point to resolve it. That's actually funny that you mentioned that because I was just on a call with a bunch of women that are pregnant. We're each other's support groups. And for some reason it came up, I was like, this, for some reason, the universe keeps sending me the message that I don't need to focus on the past so much. There's a lot in healing therapies that are all about deconstructing the past, which I'm not saying is a bad thing to do at any given moment, but I just keep getting the message that often we don't need to focus on that so much. We just need to focus on moving forward. And the example that I was given most recently by the universe <laughs> was the story about how a guy was lost and he got went into this convenience store and he was just like, well, I got on highway 405 to the five to this and blah, blah. And the guy was like, why are you telling me how you got here? All you need to know is get back on the highway, take this, this and this and you'll get there. And it was just a great metaphor for, you know, sometimes we're so focused on why did I get here? How did I get here? What's affecting me today that we end up giving more power to those stories because we're focusing on it. So we're amplifying it. And while that might be needed, maybe in certain trauma cases, I'm not going to judge other people's path that they're taking to heal. But I know for me, for some reason, I just keep getting the message that wipe that clean. Even in sports, they say the most successful people are immediately able to forget their last losing play so that they can go into the next one with a fresh start. So given that we don't need to deconstruct those things, how do we begin the fresh start? Well, by how we feel today. And again, what you expressed then, it's absolutely correct. If we're not able to move on from a defeat, for example, if we're a sport, uh, an athlete, if we're not able to move on, it is because uh, there is something there that is not integrated, right? So every time we're having an emotional difficulty that stay is just because there is a part of our life which not was not able to be integrated. What we're going to do with emotional resolution, which is the process that I'm working with, is integrate those information, integrate those emotions on how to do it. Well, we're going to do what we never do with emotions. If we look at our life, we can see that we developed an amazing battery of coping mechanism to shut down our emotion. So it can be breathing, it can be uh, positive thinking, it can be it can be having a glass of wine, smoking a cigarette, watching movies, going for a walk, going to yoga, meditate. I mean, you name it. Uh, of course, all of these are some of these coping mechanisms are healthy, right? Meditating, working out, whatever. But all they try to do is to relax. We always train to relax when we're having an emotion. We train to shut down the emotion so we can feel better, so we can go back to a neutral state. Now, the problem is every time we're trying to control our emotion or to tell ourselves that we are okay, which is also a way to control, we are not allowing the body to do a natural process. What I'm doing with my client, what I'm teaching is a complete natural process and everybody and everybody's body can do. So how to do it? Well, the key is when we feel an emotional difficulty to do 
nothing. Easy to say, not easy to do all the time. Remember, we said that the physical sensation that we feel during an emotion were the same sensations that were felt at the moment that the emotion was created. Now, we're spending our life to try to step out of those sensations, to try to step out of these emotions, and that doesn't work. Understanding, as you said earlier, an emotion doesn't work either in the sense that you can understand why you're feeling an emotion. You can understand where it's coming from, but that doesn't bring any healing, any resolution. The solution to resolve an emotional pattern is within the emotion, inside the emotion. And what is inside of the emotion? Physical sensations, what we're going to call interoception. Interoception or the physical sensation that let us know that we feel an emotion. The physical sensations that we feel during an emotion are like the DNA of our emotion. So how do we start to deconstruct an emotion? Well, it's actually quite simple. When we feel the emotion that we don't want to feel anymore, all we've got to do is to stop, to close our eyes if we can, and to pay attention to the physical sensations that we feel in our body. So to consciously connect to the emotion that we're feeling in our body, but through and only through physical sensations. When we do that, when we connect to the physical sensation, to the interoception in our body, we are shifting from being into an emotional response or an emotional reaction to simply become intimate with the emotion on a very primal way. Usually as human beings, we are a lot in the reaction, in the response to an emotion. When you shift your attention, your awareness to the physical sensations, you are now just in touch with your emotion, no more in the reaction. Once you pay attention to your physical sensation, it's important to pay attention to a minimum of two sensations at once. The next step is going to be to do absolutely nothing other than to be curious of how those physical sensations are going to transform in our body. When we are able to stay with our physical sensations for as long as they move in our body without interrupting them, without trying to control them or trying to control what created them, the mind has a capacity, the brain has a capacity to update the prediction that was going on in you. Basically, you're showing your brain, you're showing your body, that nowadays, as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, you're able to stay in presence of a stimulus that has been perceived as a danger for years maybe. We can stay in presence of a stimulus without trying to change the stimulus or without trying to change your response for as long as your body feels the prediction inside, the sensorial prediction. And without doing anything, without taking any action of any kind, you remain safe and sound. You are showing your brain that nowadays you can be in presence of the stimulus and nothing is happening to you. This stimulus is not a danger any longer for you. The prediction that was letting you know that you were about to face a danger is going to be updated instantly and permanently until... Maybe one day, life shows you that there is a danger. But most of the time, it will never happen. Because what your body was seeing, feeling, sensing as a danger, nowadays is absolutely, most of the time, irrelevant. An emotional difficulty happened 
when your body memory is triggered by a stimulus that is nowadays obsolete. Do that make sense? It does. And so what I'm hearing is basically our bodies, our, our minds and our bodies have this fight or flight response. And often it, it's just the survival, the primal brain. And so often we have these minor things happen that cause us to want to kind of emotionally retreat, like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with this. And just in avoiding those emotions, even if it's a smaller day-to-day thing, we're telling our brain, this is an acceptable time to turn on the fight or flight response. But if instead we decide to sit in our emotions, tune to the physical sensations of actually what's going on and relax in that, then we're telling our brain that, no, this is not a valid time to turn on my fight or flight response. I can handle this. And so you're kind of building self-beliefs as you go either way. But the problem is, is most humans allow their natural or whatever they immediately want to do just to avoid or to cope. And so they're constantly building up a whole backlog of things that their body wants to run and hide from instead of just sitting in your power in it and allowing it to move through you so that you can remain calm the next time that presents itself. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely absolutely correct. The, the only thing I will say, and it's just because I, I, I'm picky, is when we are in the physical sensation or with the physical sensation, do not relax. Don't try to relax. If you try to relax, you try to control. So okay. you just have to stay with the sensations, even if they're uncomfortable. And that's the key, you see. Very often, we're going to try to relax. Actually, it's very stressful to relax. I know it sounds, it sounds a bit strange, but every time we do an effort to relax, it's actually stressful to the body because we're trying to control. The key here is to feel the sensations without trying to relax, without trying to change them, even if the sensations are uncomfortable. Those physical sensations will not last longer than two minutes maximum, except if we're trying to do something to to change them in any way. The body is extremely, extremely resilient. And and to, to jump on something you said, which is absolutely correct again, is every time we try to control our emotion, we try to control what creates the emotion, we are reinforcing the message, the information to the brain that we are about to face a danger. We must be about to face a danger because we're taking action, because we are controlling. So the body cannot go through this natural process of resolving the emotion, of updating the prediction. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. 
As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So a lot of this is in response to things that are happening in our environment. But I'm wondering, does this same process occur with our own self-talk? I know a lot of us have work to do with the way we talk to ourselves, the words that we say. Does our body go into response based on our negative self-talk as well? Yes, absolutely. Is the negative self-talk come because we feel an emotion? Or is the emotion coming because we're having a negative self-talk? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Let's look at our life. If there is negative self-talk, it's because there is a fear before. There is an emotional reaction before. Even if there is no conceptualized name for the emotion we feel that feed the negative self-talk, there are tensions in our body that come, I would say most of the time, prior to a negative self-talk. I'm also wondering, so... Often we hear that certain people are predisposed to things like depression and anxiety and whatever. I've heard that so many different times by different therapists or counselors. It Does this process work in the same way if your brains are constructed a little bit differently? Or do you believe that certain brains are more predisposed to that? Or is there a reason that some people tend to spiral faster than others? How does that all fit into this? So... Are some brain more disposed to anxiety or depression? I don't know. It's possible. You know, we, we're learning every day about emotions. There is so much we don't know. And it's like everything, right? We feel like we have the answer to everything until we find something new, until we understand something new. So I don't know that. I don't know if some brain are more open to anxiety or to depression. But what I know is it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you, you have a family history it doesn't matter if you have the tendency to go into depression or anxiety. From the moment you recognize it, from the moment you own it, you can release it. You can resolve it. So when we're in this state of emotion and we're trying to focus on the emotions that we're feeling or the physical sensations that we're feeling in our body, mm-hmm. some people I can see would may begin to resist that process in general. If you're so used to always coping, always escaping that those uncomfortable feelings, 
I could see the how the brain would kind of be going haywire of trying to still use those old coping mechanisms. But controlling and relaxing can create more stress. So for the people that have this extra amount of resistance, do you have any tips for them to really just settle in and trust that this is going to be a temporary process or is it does it just take practice and showing up? I think it's a combination of both. Um, you can tell people, you know, don't be afraid, just feel the sensations and they might, you know, they might never do it. Or they might just think, you know, to the contrary, that is too simple. And when it's too simple, it cannot work. I'm a big fan to say it's not because it's simple that it doesn't work. I mean, look at simple nature is, so to speak, and the complexity there is behind what we see as simple. So I think what's something that can help is once a month with the Emotional Health Institute, we offer a class for at least once a month for about $8, where we explain the neuroscience of emotion and how we explain in detail how one can resolve their own emotional difficulties. So taking the class is, I think, helpful as it gives you more information and more understanding, which for some of us is necessary in order to enter the process physically to understand cognitively. And something that can help as well is uh, to do a session with a practitioner. So you have a first taste, a first experience with someone. And after that, you are more armed to, to do the work on yourself by yourself. It takes will, I would say, to just try it, to have the experience for oneself. And, you know, I often say as well that this natural capacity that we're working with, with emotional resolution, it's something that some people are tapping into in their life, often without knowing it. Um, for example, my grandfather is 98 years old, he's still alive, and he fought uh, World War II in the resistance in Europe. You will notice how veterans from these times, now there is not a lot of them remaining, unfortunately, but you, will, you might notice how veterans from these times did not carry as much PTSD as soldiers do on our time. And I see for my grandfather, for example, when he came back from war, he spent a lot of time working and working right away after war, but working in nature, either way in nature or with other men and women. I truly believe that when you're in nature or with other human beings, when you're facing an emotional difficulty, when you're facing a flashback, what do you do? You do nothing. You just are with your emotion on a very primal way, on a very uh, natural way. But I think as generations went on, we learned more and more to control our emotion. We're spending less and less time in nature or with each other, just doing manual work, that is. And this natural capacity that maybe for older, for other generations was happening by itself, we blocked because of our way of life, because of uh, our way to relate to others as well. Yeah, there's so much about our current society where I can see so much of the focus of our lives being shifted from our bodies to just our minds. We're scrolling through social media more than we're hanging out with people in real life. We're, we're working on our computers more than we're working with our bodies. And so all of these things put this extra stress or this extra emphasis on just our minds when I think our human nature is to balance between the two a lot more than society contributes to, which is one of my theories of why there's so many more mental imbalances because we're pushing all of our focus from the head instead of in the heart and the body. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, to just go back, I, I know you're expecting a baby and it's wonderful. I, I, I'm going to be such a good mom. I'd like to go back to the work of uh, Boris Cyrulnik in, uh, in France, who just finished a big, big work on the first thousand days uh, of life. And he explains that uh, the best thing we can do for our little ones in order for them to integrate emotion is to be loving present. So to be loving and to be present, to not try to control their emotion, to not try almost to make them feel better other than being present with them and loving with them so that their body can resolve the emotion by itself, can integrate the emotion by itself, so that their body can use their own resilience to integrate information. And very often I see it at home, we're trying to control the pain of our little ones because we don't like to see them suffer, and that's normal. But just, and I really believe that if we just can be present, loving, it is, it is so powerful for our, our little ones. That was actually going to be a question that I asked because it's so interesting to me how often the patterns that we create tend to go against what our body is naturally supposed to do. Like you say, our body is wired to permanently resolve dysfunctional and negative emotional patterns if we only allowed it to go through the natural process. But somehow, naturally, we've all decided that coping and avoiding is better. So with these children just kind of being that space and showing, not reacting to those negative emotions and trying to turn them off and doing that would, would mirror to them. Like, this is not a good thing to feel stop. And instead just kind of sitting there being a loving presence and creating a space for them to feel that without a negative reaction, basically encourages them to allow that process to move through them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is two times to that. We know we, te- we teach a lot to parents and educators. There are two, helping our children goes in two time. The first time we have to resolve what we feel when our children are confronting us or having an emotional reaction. First of all, we need to clear up what's happening in us. If not, if we're anxious or afraid, we won't be able to be present with them. We'll be just faking it you know, and sometimes it will work, but often it will not. So when we are triggered by our kids or partner emotional response, before doing anything for them, we have to take care of ourselves first. And that's really the fundamental rule. We've got to take care of ourselves first so we can be present for the other one. Once we are present, then we can give our attention and our love to our partner, our students, our, uh, our, our kids. Right. I have found that I relate to being an empath. And so I found myself doing some of these techniques based on what I know about being an empath. For example, when my husband's upset, for some reason, it hits a chord with me more than when I'm upset because maybe because I feel like I have less control, even though control's an illusion anyways. <laughs> but yeah. I always want to fix it. And part of it's selfish. It's like if I fix him, his emotions, then I don't have to feel it. <laughs> I don't have to absorb his energy. But with a child and you feel responsible for this child, yes, I can totally see kind of sitting there with it. So is the process the same when you're sitting with somebody else with their emotions, just deciding to focus on what sensations are coming up in my body in response to that person's emotions? Or yeah. is it more like breathing through it? No, no, it's exactly what you said at the beginning. The, the mistake, so to speak, would be to breathe into it. And when you feel, when you resonate, when there's a chord in you, that resonates because your husband is upset, for example, if it resonates in you to a point that you cannot be just present, 
If you resonate to a point that it's more than just a sensation in you, if you're uh, emotionally taking part of in your husband experience, stop, go into another room and attend to this emotion. If our cord inside of us, I see it every day when I do sessions with people, sometimes I hear pretty awful things. When I hear pretty awful things, my cord resonates just for a few seconds. I'm feeling an emotion. I'm feeling some sensations. Very quickly, it quiets down. It doesn't stay with me. I know that there is nothing in me deep that resonates with my client's story. I can be present. I can do my job. Now, if somebody is telling me something that makes me resonate with an emotion, but the emotion doesn't go away within few seconds or minutes, I know that there is something in me that I should resolve because I cannot be present with my client. And I think for empath, it's also kind of the same thing. You are very much tuned into what's going on around you. It's a gift. But if this gift become a nightmare because you are triggered, stop and resolve what's happening. You will see the difference between sensing that your husband is having a moment and not being impacted by it. It is the same thing when we are with a, a child, for example, and the child is going through something. Stop, resolve the sensations, feel the sensations, let your body process your own emotion, and then you can be present. And you know, the beauty is when the kids are very young, when you do that on yourself in their presence, talking babies, you will see how they come down. Oh, I love that. I feel like this is the perfect timing <laughs> for right before I give birth. And uh, just in general, I have been focusing on tuning into the sensations in my body based off of some things that I've learned from authors like Tara Brock. But this mm -hmm. is just an even more simplified version of that to show you the actual science behind it rather than just the mindfulness practice. So thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you've brought in this area. And for listeners that are interested in maybe working with you personally or learning more about this, where's the best place that they can connect with you online? The best way is to go to the Emotional Health Institute uh, website, which is emotionalhealthinstitute.org. Uh, and there you will find practitioners, you will find explanation about the process, a lot of resources, and, and you can connect with me there as well. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 181. So your challenge for this week is to resolve your emotions. Try the practice. When something comes up and you can feel yourself just giving more power to the story, all that does is increase all of the negative emotions that you're feeling about it. Instead, remove the story altogether and just tune into your body. Ask yourself, where am I feeling this? What does it feel like? What are the sensations, the actual physical sensations that I feel in my body? Maybe my eyes are heavy, or I feel a tightness in my chest, or I can feel almost like I'm putting on some sort of energetic armor. I've shared on other episodes before, but this practice changed my pregnancy for me. It's something that I already knew, but I was having such a hard time just feeling nauseous every day, feeling like my body wasn't my own. I just wasn't really in my element and it was affecting my mental state pretty hardcore. I was also in the mountains in the snow. I couldn't snowboard. I was stuck inside. I couldn't layer my pants. It was a whole thing. Well, I came back to this practice. 
I realized that I was giving so much power to the story that I was stuck indoors and I couldn't layer pants and I couldn't snowboard and all the things I just shared with you guys. And instead I sat in meditation and I tuned into my body and I just felt my feelings. And in doing this, first of all, not only did a layer of stress feel like it was melting off, my anxiety started to decrease, I could feel my head becoming lighter, and in that practice, I could also connect more deeply with my baby. Now, that doesn't mean that this only helps when you're pregnant, but with all those layers dissolved, all the layers of stress and of hurt and of pain, what's under that? What else could you be connecting with? Could it be your partner or your purpose? or just this feeling of love and gratitude that you can have for life. But it's hard to get in touch with those deeper emotions that we actually want to feel if we're letting all of the negative ones bring us down. So let me know how it goes. Connect with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. We'll also be chatting about this in the Facebook group. So you can get that at mindlove.com slash fbgroup and it'll redirect you right there. As a little reminder, there are several amazing ways to support the show. The first and most intimate way, (laughs) that sounded dirty. No, you can join Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get extra episodes, monthly meditations, and some extra bonuses. Another awesome way that's a win-win is by supporting any of my amazing sponsors. All of my sponsors are products or services that I really, really do love. I reject a lot of the ones that request to be on the show and the ones that go through are ones that I personally vouch for. And not only do you support the show, but you get something for yourself. And finally, anyone who's left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or shared the show with your friends, I love you guys just as much. So as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 